This is Iron Mike Stedman. And as always, I want to thank you for tuning into my show, The Legendary Dog Whistle Brandon. Today, you're in for another treat, as I'm joined by none other than April Dunford, a positioning ninja and author of the book, Obviously Awesome, How to Nail Product Positioning So Customers Get It, Buy It, Love It. April is one of the most sought-after positioning experts in the world, positioning well over 200-plus tech products and counting. On the show, she and I talk through how to actually do positioning and address many of the misconceptions about the process and understanding the importance of it. Before you hear from April and I, I want to encourage you to purchase my first book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, Validate Your Business Model, Build Your Brand, and Step Into Greatness, available on Amazon at the link in the show notes. Without further ado, Gunny, get them ready. Yo, saddle up, lock and load. You're listening to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride, where we provide no fluff and high impact brand strategy and business coaching for veteran owned businesses to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the godfather of Dog Whistle Branding, founder of Ironbound Media and business coach at the Lions Pride. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com to stay up to date on all things DWB. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a dog whistle brand. Saddle up, lock and load. April, welcome to Dog Whistle Branding. (laughs) It's awesome to be here. I'm fired up to have you here. I reached out to April on Twitter. Big fan of hers, been following her quite some time. I uh, read the book, Obviously Awesome, which we're going to talk about today. But April, you're a positioning expert. You know, a lot yeah. of people don't get it yet. Positioning first, marketing second. You've been yeah. doing this way longer than I have. Uh, yeah. According to your book, you said you've positioned well over, what, 20 plus products? Yeah, well, actually, you know, I I, I used to be a repeat vice president of marketing at startups. Right. And so in my career as an in-house person, I think I launched 16 products. But then since I've been a consultant, I've worked with about 200 companies. So all in, it's a couple hundred now, I guess, if you count all those. So you're a positioning badass is basically what you're saying. That's it. Yeah, positioning badass. I'll start working that into tagline. So... <laughs> I would love for you to take a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners who may not be familiar with you. Sure. So, so like I said, my background is I started off running marketing teams inside tech companies, and that was kind of my jam for 25 years. And really, my specialty was we got something new, it's kind of complicated, people don't really understand it. And we got to launch it into market in a way where people really understand, like, what the heck is this thing? Why should I care? Why should I pay money for it? And then about six, seven years ago, I decided I want to do something different. So I made the switch to consulting. And so now I do uh, only do positioning work. uh, And I work mainly with what I would call growth stage startups, like companies that are in the market, trying to grow fast. And part of that is getting really clear on the story about why should anybody care about this thing that we're trying to sell. So April's time is worth $10,000 a minute. When she says growth stage, she means people that can afford her, afford her. So you're in a real, uh, it's a privilege to have her here talking to us. Now, I've been pounding pavement on this podcast, April, talking about the importance of positioning, but it's still one of those things that like, I think a lot of the community doesn't truly understand. Yeah. And what I've seen more and more is we throw marketing at the situation 
And marketing right. looks a lot more like marketing management these days than it does positioning products or services in a market with strong demand and also yeah. getting inside of the heads of our perfect customers and communicating our value in a way that they understand. Yeah, yeah. So I would love to learn your definition of positioning. Yeah, so, you know, positioning is really misunderstood. Like, like most of the time, when I started consulting, this was the worst part about doing this as a job, right? Is I, I get a meeting with a CEO and they'd say, so what do you do? And I'd say, oh, I do positioning stuff. And they're like, oh, so that's like messaging. You're copywriter? And I'm like, no, no, not quite that. And then they'd say, oh, well, it's like, it's like branding. What you do is like the colors and the font. And I'm like, nope, nope, that's not what I do either. And so, you know, a lot of the things that people confuse with positioning are actually things you do with positioning once you have it. Like if someone was to say to me, April, you got to do redo all the copy on the website. I'd say, okay, yeah, let's go redo the copy on the website. So I got a bunch of questions though, like, Who's, who's this product for? And what do we got that the competitors don't have? So who do we compete with and how are we different? What's the value we can provide that other folks can't? And like, what's the market we're supposed to be in here? And if you can't answer those questions, I can't write the copy. So positioning, in my opinion, is an input into a lot of things that we talk about, like copywriting and how am I going to build campaigns and all the other things that I do in marketing. So my definition of positioning is positioning defines how your product or your offering is the best in the world at delivering something, some value that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. So, you know, so that's how I define it. So you wrote the book, obviously awesome. And you pick up where Jack Reese and Al Trout left off. Right. Kind of, so, yeah, that was the idea. That was the idea. And one of the things <laughs> you talk about is, you know, in that book, they list all these different ways people are positioning, but they don't yeah. actually show you like how to do it. And that's yeah, one of the reasons. I, I that frustrated me so bad. So like so like how I got into this was like first job I ever had, we had this product, and we thought what this thing was was desktop productivity software, like we is a competitor to Excel, like spreadsheet. And so we, you know. We, we built the thing, we launched it in the market. No one cares. <laughs> like, and I can't sell any of it. So I'm running all these campaigns. I'm spending a ton of money. We, we sell nothing of this thing. 200 copies at a hundred bucks a pop. Wasn't even going to pay for the one developer we had assigned to the thing. So, uh, so it was a failure and we ended up repositioning it. it. Like we didn't change the product too much at the beginning, but we repositioned it as an embeddable database for mobile devices. Pretty different. <laughs> like totally different. Changed the pricing, changed the way we sell it, everything else, but the product was the same. Um, and when we did that, we just kind of messed around until we got something that we thought worked. So we were talking to customers. We knew customers were using it in this different way with mobile devices. And so we just kept playing around with it until we figured out the positioning. And in a lot of ways, we got lucky. And then we launched it. The thing took off. It's growing like crazy. We get acquired by this big Silicon Valley company. Everyone's happy. And then I inherit a whole bunch of products because now I'm like the VP marketing at this big company. So I inherit a bunch of products and they're like, and some of them look like the positioning's not so good. So I'm like, okay, I should do that thing I did with the other one. Let's reposition it. 
but maybe I'll, this time we'll do it properly, like the way they do, the real marketers do it and not just fool around until we have something good. So I kind of sat and had coffee with a bunch of really smart marketing people and said, like, how are we supposed to do positioning? Like, this is kind of a fundamental thing. We must have a methodology for doing it. And everybody kept telling me they were kind of doing the same thing I was doing. It was just kind of monkey around until we got something that was good. And then I had, uh, I was at this big company and they had a big budget for education. So I went back and took a bunch of marketing courses at like fancy pantsy marketing universities and, and, and nowhere in any of these courses did we ever get anything beyond like, this is what positioning is. And this is why it's important. The closest thing I ever got to like a way to do positioning was this positioning statement, which you'll learn this in marketing class. And it's a thing that says my product is a blank that does blank. Unlike blankety blank, blank. It's like Mad Libs and you fill in the blanks. And you know, I had the marketing professor was up there and was teaching this thing. And he said, well, that's what you do. You just write in the answer for these questions. And that there was a blank there that said market category. And I was like, well, wait a second. Like I just repositioned this thing. We thought it was like a desktop productivity software. And then we repositioned it as an embeddable database for mobile devices. So different. And then it takes off. Like you got a positioning statement and there's a blank in there that says market category. But as far as I could tell that I could position a product in any market category, like how do I know what the best one is. And the professor that, that I, that of the class, like, give me this answer. I like put up my hand. I said, like, how do you know? Like, this doesn't seem like a way to figure it out. I'd like just writing it down. Like, how do you know? And he says, trust me, April, you'll just know. <laughs> and at that point I was like, Hey, we actually don't know how to do this. And so in my little brain, I was like, well, at that point I had repositioned a couple of things. So I thought, well, I could logic this out. So, uh, so that has been kind of the, my focus for a few years after that. I thought, well, like we know what the piece parts are of positioning. Maybe I could break it into pieces, solve for the component pieces and then put it together. And we kind of know what the pieces are. They're like the blanks in the positioning statement and there's five. So there's the competitive alternatives. So if you didn't exist, what would a customer do or put another way, like, who do you got to beat in order to sell something? So who do you compete with? Second one is um, differentiated capabilities or features. So what do you got that the competitors don't have just feature wise, capability wise? And then you got value, like customers actually don't care about the features or the capabilities. They care about what those features can do for them. So, you know, the value is like the so what of your features. Um, so there's differentiated value. And then there's the, who are we trying to go after? Or like, so what does a best fit customer look like? Cause we're not trying to sell to everybody. We're trying to sell to people that are a good fit for our stuff. And then the last bit is market category, which is a little bit like, you know, what are we, are we a spreadsheet or a database for mobile things? And so those are the five things. And then I got this idea, well, okay, these are the five things. I just have to figure out what the right answer for those. And then we'll get positioning. So the problem is, is when you start looking at those things, the first thing you realize is all the things kind of have a relationship with each other. They're not independent. So if, if I were to take like value, like the value that my product can deliver to customers is totally dependent on 
the differentiated capabilities or features of it. Like I don't just make that up. Like it comes from the features or the stuff you can do that the other guys can't. But my differentiated capabilities are only differentiated when I compare them to a competitor. So like those three things are all related to each other. And then same thing with like best fit customer. Who's my best fit customer? My best fit customer. These are the people that really care a lot about the value that only I can deliver. So that's related. And then market category is a little more esoteric, but it's like, it's the, it's the context I position the product in so that my value kind of makes sense to the people I'm trying to sell to. And so once I figured that out, then I was like, well, you know, how do we actually, if everybody has a relation, everything has a relationship to everything else. Like, how do I actually figure this out? Like, is there a starting point? And for two years, I, I didn't think there was like, so what I thought was you just pick something and you work your way around the wheel. Right. And then you figure them all out. And then you, you got this like candidate positioning and then you go to the market and you see if that works. If it does great, you run with it. If it doesn't, you throw it out, you come back and you do it again and come up with something else. Um, the problem with that is, you know, if you're the VP marketing and you spend three months testing this thing and it doesn't work, and then you got to go back and tell your boss, oh yeah, that didn't work. That, like, that's a good way to get fired. <laughs> and so those are a sad two years, but, but then after a while, what I figured out was actually, um, you have to start with competitive alternatives. If we don't start there, then we get positioning that sounds good in the office, but it doesn't actually win out in the market because it's not differentiated from the other things a customer could pick. So, so here's how you do it. You start with, okay, if you didn't exist, what would a customer do? And sometimes that's, you know, I, they just do something manually or they use pen and paper. They use something that doesn't even look like you. Uh, but then there's also like, you know, things that do look like you. So things that are direct competitors to you. And so you list that stuff out. And then you say, okay, well, what have I got that they don't have? And so if it's a product, it might be features. If you're selling a service, it might be expertise, right? Like I know a lot about this and my other competitors don't know a lot about this. Or I have experience doing this kind of stuff and the other competitors actually don't know anything about that. So I list all that stuff down. And then when I've got that list, I say, I can go down the list and for everything on that list, I can say, so what? So, you know, I have expertise in this area. So what, why does a customer care? Well, maybe they care because it's a lot less likely that the project will fail with you because you've done that thing five times and your competitors have it <laughs> and that's valuable. Or maybe the project's going to get done faster or cheaper because you know what you're doing and you've done it before or whatever it is. Right? So then I figure out this is my value. This is, this is why I picked me over the other guys. And then I can lean back and say, well, I could sell this thing to anybody, but not everybody cares about the value that only I can deliver. And so let's say my value is, you know, I can deliver it really fast. Well, not everybody cares if it's delivered really fast. Some people do. And so what are the characteristics of a target customer that make them care about the thing that only you can do? And that's going to help you figure out where to go fish, like where you should spend your marketing and sales efforts. And then the last bit is like, what are you? <laughs> this is your market category. And so it's like, am I a spreadsheet or a database? And basically what you're saying is like, look, I got this value and I can deliver it to these people. You know, if I say I'm, you know, 
a, a database, does that actually lead people to my value or does that just get them confused? So what is the context that best represents my value for these people? And that's how you do it. That's my super long-winded answer. No, it's great. <laughs> I got a little note here. So I found you full transparency through Christopher Lockhead who oh, yeah. introduced me to category design. Yeah. So then I, yeah. I, I drank the Kool-Aid April. I'm reading yeah. category design. I'm listening to podcasts. Da, 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 yeah. Right. And then I start saying, okay, well, what does this look like for, you know, small business owners? Right. So then that card going down the rabbit hole of like positioning. And then right. the worlds overlap too, because I listened to you on a podcast and I know categories is a big thing. Now people are aware of it for the longest yeah. time. People weren't, but it's not to say all end all. Right. And so yeah. whereas you go category last, I still think a category first just because it's right. easier for me for a reference point. And it's also good for me to ask someone of like, well, how are you positioning yourself currently? And right. most of our listeners, they have no idea what their category is. Right. Like at all. Right. And so, you know, we start talking about positioning, right? It's like it, they have nowhere to even start to begin. They're just right. still stuck on the idea. What's the basics? Oh, identify a problem, come up with a solution, your company. That's the extent of their like positioning as yeah. opposed to what you and I are talking about. And so yeah. Yeah. one of the things I'm curious about is what you just talked through. How long does it take you to position uh, a product? Well, so he, so here's the thing. If you're out in the market and you're selling something already, you, you, you are positioning it, whether you're doing it consciously or not, right. <laughs> whether your positioning is good or not. <laughs> and if you're not doing it deliberately, the, the customer is going to do it for you. So the customer is going to look at it and go like, what is this? What do you, oh, you must be this. And they're going to put you in a bucket, whether, you know, whether you like that bucket or not. And right. so everybody's got positioning, you know, whether they've done it deliberately. If we're trying to go back and look at our positioning and get deliberate about it, um, usually that doesn't take a lot of time. Like when I was doing this inside as a VP marketing, we'd have a meeting and the meeting would go for a day. And so we get everybody on the team together and we just work through it. Okay. Who's our competitor? Okay. What do we got that they don't have? Okay. What's the value that we can deliver? All right. Well, you know, who's it for? Okay. So therefore, what are we? And you know, that's usually a day long meeting. When I do this with clients, it's, you know, we spread it out over a few days because it's tiring work and in bigger companies, everybody's got an opinion, but um but, you know, I think you could work through it in a day or two. Now, where things get tricky is like, let's say you're brand new. So so let's say you got a company and you, you know, you you just started and you got a couple of customers. It's not always obvious what your best positioning is because you just haven't sold enough of them yet. And so if you go through this process, what you're going to come up with at the end is what I would call positioning thesis. It's like our best guess. That's right. Like, so, and you're like, okay, I think this is who I compete with. I think this is why you would pick me over the other folks. And I think these are the kind of people that are really going to love my stuff. Even doing that is super valuable because at least you know what your thesis is, like there's what your guess is. And so if you say, look, I think the kind of people, I think, you know, restaurants, are going to love my service because I do this thing that none of the other guys do. 
And then you go out and you can't sell the restaurants. Well, you made an assumption there that was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and so either you, the thing you think is valuable isn't actually valuable for restaurants. Maybe you need to go try it with somebody else. Um, or, you know, your competitors beating you in some way that you just don't know about yet. Cause you haven't gone through enough deals to, to be up against them yet. In the military, we have a saying that the enemy has a choice. So, you know, you sit there, you do all that planning, then you set up your mortars <laughs> and machine guns, and you think the enemy is going to sit there and let you shoot them. It's not happening. And it's the same thing about the market, right? And Amen. so I'm curious to hear your feedback on this, right? So as I start to understand category and how to, like, read markets, right? You can just yeah. look around. You can see where stuff is moving. Like, I live in the New York City metro area, Newark, New Jersey. People are walking dogs left and right, right? They're hanging out with their dogs, right? I'm taking yeah. photos of them. I'm oh, thinking yeah, like, yo, money on dogs. I'm like, if there was a doggy bar or a doggy gym or something, who knows? Like there's a market for right. it, but cause you can see the movement. But then I think about like veganism, right? 30 years ago, if you launched a vegan restaurant, good luck. <laughs> True. But now people are a lot more health conscious, right? They are, uh, it's, it's more socially acceptable, right? A lot of people are laying off of meat and stuff. And so you know, there's a strong market pool there. And so part of what we're doing in positioning is, you know, how can we navigate our products or service to take advantage yeah. of that demand? Because somebody could have looked around and said, you know, this vegan thing sounds like a good idea, but if people aren't buying it currently, why? And does yeah. it make sense to offer a product in this space? Well, so, and this is super important. And so there's a bunch of things that I think you really got to think about. So one is, that right like is there like when you're sitting down to do this thesis that says i'm going to deliver this thing and then you're like who cares a lot about that thing but and are there enough of them like is it just you and me and my mom <laughs> or is there like thousands of people that i can because i literally need thousands and thousands of people for this you know thing to take off as a business that's one thing the second thing is sometimes you got a thing that it's like you look around and you're like everybody needs this but you're not the only person that noticed that. And so everybody offers that. So the, the, the thing you get that's really common and it's so common, it's kind of a joke. Like a lot of people in tech, they decide to do custom tech services. So you're a good programmer. So you're going to start a company where, you know, you're going to code custom code for people. And, and this is a good little small business. But at some point, all those businesses think we should build a product because that'd be easier to just work on one product than, you know, custom stuff. And the first thing that everyone decides they're going to build is project management software, because every software company uses project management software and everyone kind of hates their project management software. But this is the worst thing to build <laughs> because there are literally millions of pro project management software companies out there. There's so many and I guarantee you, there is nothing new under the sun in project management. It would be so hard to build something that hasn't already been built. And then you'd have to market it and win these deals. And every deal you'd be up against these big companies that already do this stuff that sell it for practically nothing. <laughs> like it'd just be the worst thing. Whereas, you know, there's a thousand other great ideas out there. So sometimes I think you got to think about, you know, it's not just what can I offer, but what can I offer where this need is not already met? Like if there's five other dog bars in the neighborhood and you're number six, like that's going to be hard, 
right? But if there's a million dogs in the neighborhood and there's no dog bar, well, that's looking pretty good. <laughs> so I got to think about that. Sometimes, you know, and restaurants are like that. Sometimes it doesn't matter that there's a million in the neighborhood as long as your thing is different, right? So, you know, if there's a million restaurants in the neighborhood, but you're the only one doing the vegan thing and a vegan's hot right now, then you're good. Or right? Thai Again, food. it's this differentiation. What do you got that the other guys got, don't have? That's where you're going to go win. I like you bringing up the project management thing because something we haven't talked enough about on this podcast is switching cost, right? Oh. So, you know, like this whiteboard right here, I try all these different project management stuff starts dropping. I put it on the whiteboard. It gets done, right? You're not on the same whiteboard. <laughs> same thing. It's like, yeah. No, everybody and everybody keeps telling me, like, yeah, you got to use this thing or that thing. I'm like, actually. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm just now starting. But you're to so right about project management software. Like, people get using project management software, and then you will pry it out of their cold, dead fingers. Like, they're they're not giving it up once they're using it because everybody's using it and it's 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 databases same thing right you got data in the database it's never going anywhere else you got to teach people how to use the products or service you got to train them up you know so again trying to get off this whiteboard google docs is the second best thing and now i'm getting in the notion a little bit but again i'm back in google docs i'm back in google docs and so if you launch a product that is trying to replace google docs good luck i've already got you know 10 years beat on you it's amazing and it's free and whatever. Like, why would you bother now? Now, one of the things, but sometimes you got a thing where the switching cost is no big deal. So, uh, you know, really interesting news in the, in the market this week, everybody's crazy for this chat GPT thing. It's like this chatbot thing. They'll answer all your questions. Well, Microsoft is an investor in that. So they make a big, they make a big announcement two days ago. We're going to put that chat GPT thing right in the search of Bing. And like, when was the last time you thought about Bing? <laughs> like, nobody's, but, but I, and I was like, oh, I'd try that. <laughs> if you got a PC, it's already there. Like, I mean, like, so, uh, so I think a search engine is actually interestingly, not very difficult to switch. Because you already got the habit of it. I got that. I already got, you know, Google search, Bing search, who cares? Like I'd switch to, if if I had a reason to use Bing, I'd use Bing tomorrow and I'd probably never look back. But the thing also with that, and this is me just thinking out loud, search engines, you use them so frequently. So it's easier to build the pattern recognition, you know, because you go through Google. I go through Google, God knows how many times a day, just doing some brief research. You switch over to Bing, you do it a couple times, now it's your browser and you're off to the races. So part of it is facilitating that switch for users, you know, to make it easy for them to, to navigate. Well, like, here's the thing to think about, right? Like we, and this is a really important thing when we're selling products, like most of the time, and this is very true in tech, like most of the time, the person that's buying your software, if you're selling to a business has never bought software like yours before, like, they don't, they don't actually know, you know, like, let's say it, like, if you think about something like accounting software, you know, how does accounting software get bought? Well, the vice president of finance wakes up and says, you know, what sucks. Accounting software around here sucks. And, and they don't go looking for new accounting software. They come into the office and say, you, Janet, figure that out. Go find us, go look at all the accounting software, come back, tell us which one we should buy. 
recommend it and then we'll buy it and we'll be good. And Janet's like, oh shit. Like, I don't know anything. Like I use accounting software, but I don't, I don't work in software. What do I know? Like, I don't even know who the vendors are. I don't know which one to pick. And so, and if I picked a wrong one, bad things happen. Like I look dumb in front of my boss, you know, people in the department have got to use it and they're all mad at me because I picked this bad software. And so what generally happens, if you look at the data on this, 50% of B2B purchase processes ends in what we call no decision. And that's not really a vote for the status quo. Like that doesn't mean, oh, we love the old thing so much we decided not to go. No, like if you actually look at the data, what the data says is it's easier to make no decision than to recommend something you're not so sure about. So it's not even so much switching costs. It's like that person has to kind of put their neck on the line and say, yeah, we should do this one. And if they pick the wrong thing, maybe they get fired. Maybe people think they're stupid. So it's way easier to go to your boss and say, you know what? Now's not a good time. Let's, let's not buy it now. <laughs> let's do it next year. You know, and hopefully you don't get picked next year to go figure out the thing to go do. So with that, you gave an excellent talk with MicroConf. I'm so glad to have you in this ecosystem, the bootstrappers. And you talk about storytelling and the importance of, giving perspective on the market. And I take that as your point of view, like how you see the landscape and then also helping uh, buyers navigate their uh, other purchasing options. So the alternatives that are out there. And I got a little note here. Why are we so afraid to talk about our competitors? We're the only <laughs> thing on the market like this, da -da -da, right. you know? But when you do that, right, you're not giving them a point of reference to think about as they think about you. Well, that's it. So. If the whole problem is people can't buy because they don't feel confident making a good decision, then like the only way to break that logjam is to like say, look, like there's lots of ways to solve this problem. And let me talk to you about it. Like, you know, you could solve it this way and that's good for these reasons and bad for these reasons, or you could solve it this way and it's good and bad, or you could solve it this way. But what what we know, because we eat, sleep, and breathe this market, is for companies like you, here's what's important, and that's why we built this. And so we almost never do that. The, the companies that are really good at this paint a picture of the whole market, and, and they don't shy away from talking about their competitors. And that doesn't mean they bash the competitors. If the competitors are big, you'd look like an idiot to say, oh, Salesforce is a dumb piece of software. Of course it's not. They're doing billions of revenue. <laughs> but you could walk in and say, look, Salesforce is actually great CRM. You should buy that software. But, you know, it's kind of complicated. It's kind of expensive. It's really more for big companies at this point. So if what you want is something simple, maybe don't break the bank on it. And maybe, you know, not, not a hard upgrade path to go to Salesforce at some point if you wanted to, maybe that's when you would pick someone like us. And so what I'm doing is not just positioning me, but I'm also positioning them, right? So I'm kind of saying, look, like they're for big companies with big budgets that don't care that the thing is really complicated. And if you don't want any of that, maybe you want to pick something else. And a buyer's sitting there and they, they don't know that stuff. Like, and if you're, and if you're, if what you're saying is true and you come across as credible and not just bashing the other guys, then you're at, that's actually really valuable information for them while they're trying to figure out, well, what should I pick to not get fired? 
what you're talking about is actually educating buyers as opposed to just saying something like, oh, we're like the Uber for uh, bicycle <laughs> delivery. You're like, what? Right. <laughs> that, that's lazy positioning. Yeah. Well, this is why I think market category isn't everything. And and like like if we think about market categories, the job of a market category is to take a customer that doesn't know too much about your stuff and sort of point them towards the value, right? So if I got a thing that is fundamentally a CRM, I mean, I could try to pretend it's some new thing and build some new category and say, no, no, it's not a CRM. We call this flu flummer and flu flummers are, you know, I try to explain that. Or I could just say, Look, I, I'm a CRM. Siebel's a C, or, or, um, Salesforce is a CRM. We're all in the CRM market, but they're up here and we're down here. And that's pretty easy for a customer to figure out. Like much easier than me trying to create a whole new category, explain what that category is, convince you that you need something in that category, and then convince you that I'm the best choice in that category. Like if the existing category exists and it works for me, why wouldn't I use it? And that's so, where you niche down, right? That's niching down, big fish in a small pond, like CRM for uh, construction the majority, management firms. The vast majority, and this is this is kind of my thing with the play bigger guys, is you know they would disagree with this. Like, so they think that everybody should be, you know, building their own market category, and then therefore it's easier to win. But the history of Silicon Valley tells us that that is not true in the vast majority of the cases, right? Google did not create a market category. There were lots of search engines before they came along, right? Facebook, you know, what about MySpace? <laughs> they were there before Facebook showed up. Everything that Apple's ever done, with the exception of the iPad, has been, has been getting, doing a better job of solving the problem in an existing market category. And what they've done in all of those examples, they peeled off a slice of the market that wasn't very well served. Like if you think about smartphones, the research in motion, RIM with the BlackBerry existed for years before Apple got into that market, but they were very focused on business users, road warriors. There was all this stuff about, you know, security and enterprise. It was really enterprisey phones, right? The piece of the market that was totally not served by the BlackBerry was this consumer market. And, and so Apple came in and said, yeah, we're smartphones too, but we're for this. <laughs> yeah, so we're they didn't slick. create a new category. They just basically came into the underserved piece of it and then eventually just dominated everything. The majority of successful companies that we know in tech start like that. They come in because it's so, so much easier to sit to instead of having to explain some new thing to you to say, look, here's the thing you already understand. We're like that, except we're for this. And that's way easier than saying, oh, we're this new thing. You've never heard of it before, but let me, you know, give you the 20 minute spiel on what it is. I also think about like podcasting, right? That's the space I'm in. I have the benefit of of uh, not being a first mover, right? So there are tons of people out there that have done podcasts forever, and they never figured out how to monetize it. And a lot of us have been able to come in, read the research, you know, follow their lead, and offer new products and services in the in the space, you know. So you're 100 percent right on that. And I do think the um, the search is an example is a great example because I think about Yahoo, 
I haven't used Yahoo in like 10 right. years. But like Yahoo was it. Instant Messenger was it. You had all Do these. Do you remember things. like I'm old enough there used to be all these weird ones like like when when like I'm old enough that when I started there were all these weird ones. So there was this one called Ass Jeeves. Uh, don't use that one. <laughs> it was a guy and he was like a butler. <laughs> he was going to go you know oh, this right. your answers. Yeah. And I'm like what the hell is Ass Jeeves? <laughs> no, I remember that one. Yeah. So there yeah, so there were the, yeah, that there were a lot of search engines around before Google came on the scene. Something I would love your help articulating because I've been trying, but people still are refusing to hit the I believe button. <laughs> In the early days, you need to position your product um how do you phrase it as? Your product and company need to be the same thing. So, yeah. people have these crazy architectures. They're like, this is the company this is the product. Then I'm coming in and talking about we need to nail your category. And I'm telling them, I'm like, listen, you just need to name the company after the product. And they, they're they pushing back, April. But then it's like, listen, you're confusing people. Oh, I've had this conversation so many times. Like, and, you know, and in a way, I get it. Like, you know, like I had this conversation once with a guy, super smart entrepreneur, so smart. And they had invented this thing. It was it was amazing, like magic. And they raised all this money for it. But they the, the product had a name and the company had a name. And everybody was all confused about which was the company and which was the product and whatever. And I was like, I don't get it. Like, why don't you just have one brand? Like, why do we need two? And he said, well, look, April, like, we want to be like Dyson Labs here. We're going to have a thousand. You know, we're going to blot out the sun with our amazing ideas. There's going to be so many of them, <laughs> whatever. And, and, uh, and I kept saying, well, you know, but you only got one now. Right. And so at some point when the second one comes along, then you could make that decision. It's very easy, right? Like maybe, maybe you make that decision. Maybe you either put a company name on top or the name that you've got now becomes the company name. And then you start product names and, and, you know, what if you don't come up with another product? Like if this thing really takes off, like, you know, the, the, the big example is BlackBerry and Research in Motion, like Research in Motion, like nobody even knows what that was. <laughs> that was the company name. All anybody knew was BlackBerry. And yeah, they did have some other products, but who cares? Like, and in the end, they did change the name to just call the whole company BlackBerry because that's what everybody was doing anyway. So, you know, and that's a company that at one point was doing like hundreds of millions of revenue, billions of revenue. So, you know, if they can get away with it, so can you. Like when I was at IBM, we had, uh, we were doing 150 billion revenue and inside software group, which is where I was, um, we were 35 billion revenue and there were five brand names, five. For 35 billion, right? And thousands and thousands of products. So, you know, if IBM could get away with doing that, <laughs> and you, <laughs> a little startup who's doing like, you know, these guys I was talking to, they're not even a million bucks yet. <laughs> and they're like, no, we need to be Dyson Labs. I just think it's it's so hard to establish a brand. It's so hard. Why would you, why would you right out of the gate, give yourself this extra challenge of establishing two? <laughs> like just pick one. And then if you ever get to that second product, you worry about how you're going to handle that then. Even then, like if you look at IBM, like the division I was in was the database group. We had a thousand products 
and there was one brand name and the brand name was DB2. And so the way we named all the products was there was a database and it was called DB2 database. <laughs> and there was a thing that was an information integrator and that was DB2 information integrator. And then we had a thing that was a data warehouse and that was the DB2 data warehouse. Like not everything needs a brand. One of the things I, I think about is that's where positioning the book with Jack and Jack Trout Alris, they did a good example of how Procter & Gamble approaches products. They have a product, they have a brand for every category. You know, Tide. When you think of Tide, you know, Tide is the uh, laundry detergent. When you think of Cascade, Cascade is the dishwashing detergent. And this is a freaking company that has like written a playbook on branding, right? They spend a lot of money on this. And so the frustration I get that I'm trying to communicate to the veteran entrepreneurs I work with is when you're raising capital from venture uh, investors, they are invested in the product. They're invested in your ability to sell a bunch of that product, right? To set up the sales channels, to set up the marketing, to set up everything needed to take that product to market. And so you need to brand the company around the product. Now, this is not something I always knew. I had an aha moment myself about a year and a half ago and that's when I hit the I believe button and realized like, oh, see, that's why this person is advising this person on that. But it wasn't an obvious yeah. insight for me. Well, I mean, the, the, uh, IBM doing it the same way, right? Like oh, it was a database thing. It's DB2. Like we don't want, we don't need you to remember 5 million things. And you're right. Like in tech, the VC is investing in you and, and you know, like, like my guys who are saying we want to be Dyson Labs, like that's nice. But they're not writing you the check for Dyson Labs. They're writing you the check for that thing you're building right now. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Later, if you're building some other things, you're going to have to go back and renegotiate that deal or figure out what you raise money on now. But it's not the same thing. So I don't know. I just think it's like as a marketer, so hard. Like it's so hard to build a brand. Like why would you try to do two at the same time? Just don't. Just, just so easy to just not. I would love your perspective on this. In the veteran community, we love saying we're veteran-owned. You know, we put it on our, our websites. We tell everybody, you know, and then even you got Black-owned, too. Black-owned businesses, they put it up. I am wondering if that is a feature or a benefit. Uh, this is a good this is a good question. And I get this one a lot. Like, because sometimes I'll get companies. Sometimes I work with companies, and they've got, a, a like, a social mission. Right. Where they're like, you know, we're a, we're a B Corp and we're going to do that. And so in, in the answer to this question is it depends. So sometimes it matters and it's differentiating for your buyers and it really depends about your buyers. So if your buyers care that it's veteran owned or black owned, or you got some kind of a social mission or whatever, then, then it's value. Right. If, if, if your buyer cares, but a lot of times or sometimes your buyer doesn't care. They care about all the other value you can deliver. And that other thing is kind of like special sauce, maybe, but it's not really a thing they make a decision on. Then I don't think it, I don't think it lives in your value bucket. It's got to live somewhere else. Like for example, a lot of companies I know that have a social mission, they use it when they're hiring. Because it matters for employees, because the employees like, you know, I want to I want to work for a company that's that's doing something bigger than just, you know, delivering 
cell phones or whatever. Uh, and so they, it, it matters for their employer brand. Um, but it, but it may not matter at all for their customers because their customers just don't care. And it's just not a thing that they, it's just not a thing that they use when they're evaluating vendors of who they're going to pick. So you got to know your buyers. Like if your buyers care, even if there's a segment, segment of your buyers that care, then you can use it as value. If they don't care at all, then it's like, you know, doesn't mean it's not important, but it's not important for customers. So we don't, we don't call it value. It's, it's not, not the main effort. So in the military, we got main effort right. and supporting effort. Supporting effort number one, supporting effort number two. I think it's probably always good to have that core functional uh, main effort yeah. benefit. And the secondary can be markets that you have a unfair advantage in. Like I'm in Newark. So when I do business in Newark, being a local yeah. Newark-based business, that yeah. holds a lot of weight. The fact that I bank with a certain bank here who I had lunch with today, that That's holds good. a lot of weight, you know, because I'm the, uh, they're right. a client of mine now. So I, I like that. I just, you know, I think, again, I'm trying to push people away from lazy positioning because it's so quick to just throw up, oh, we're a veteran-owned yeah. small business. Congratulations. Know. You know, thank you for your I service. I know. I've heard that. I, get, I like, get this a lot with women-owned business. They're like, we're a women-owned business. I'm like, eh, you know, it's a lot of those. <laughs> like, it, it's not always important for the buyers. Now, one thing you emphasize in the book, is that positioning is a responsibility of yeah. everyone, particularly on the leadership team. Now, most of our listeners, they probably don't have too bit of a robust leadership team. They're going to be early yeah. stage founders, probably just them and a co-founder or them and me. Why is it important for the leadership to nail and understand the positioning? And then I have a follow-on question yeah. for you around it. Well, like if you think about it, right? Like, like, this definition of what what are we and who are we trying to sell to and how do we win like it's so fundamental to the business that it, you know the leadership team has all got to be in agreement on that and so you know like some people will say well this is just a little marketing thing like you know marketing should figure that out and i'm like well imagine in the marketing department i woke up tomorrow and said hey uh we're not a calendar anymore. We're a to-do app. <laughs> like, is the founder going to care about that? Well, yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so a lot of this stuff is like, like it has to, the marketer can't make this decision because this is a, this is a decision about the core of the business. So, so I think that, you know, a lot of this stuff, like, like, I do positioning work with companies and I do not take the job if I don't lock eyes on the founder. Like sometimes the head of product will call me or the head of marketing. Most of the time it's the founder calling me in the first place, but sometimes I get the call from the head of part marketing or the head of product and they'll say, Oh, let's do this thing. And you know, like, yeah, let's go ahead and book it. And I'm like, no, we need to get the CEO on the phone. Cause like if the founder CEO thinks this is a dumb thing and we shouldn't be doing it, well then guess what? Maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Like, you know, the founder CEO needs to be, needs to be, needs to own this positioning in their heart. <laughs> yeah. They got to truly believe they gotta it. Believe it. And it can't just be some story that marketing's cooked up in the marketing department and everybody else is like, what the heck are they talking about? Um, and then as the, as the company gets bigger, what you'll get is, you know, sometimes you'll have a problem with, 
sales is telling one version of the story. Marketing's got a slightly different version. And then the founder's got a slightly different version. And then that results in this mushiness in the positioning and the story just gets kind of bad. And so it's good to get everybody together, work on the positioning, and then we're all singing the same song. And that makes it really clear to customers on the outside. Um, but yeah, the, the founders got to, got to own this stuff in my opinion. All right. So the founder's sitting with you. We got a whiteboard. We're doing half yeah. a day sessions. You know, we're eating our smoothies, <laughs> drinking coffee. We're getting yeah, after yeah. Then we have our aha. Okay. We nailed our position. We got it. Now what? Are we changing the social media copy that day? Are we updating our stuff? Like talk to us about the actual rollout of these changes. So there, there's a handful of things. So if you have salespeople, I think the best way to do it is to take that positioning and build a sales pitch and then test it with qualified prospects in a sales situation. And you'll know whether it works or not. If you're sitting across from somebody, you'll know whether it works better than your old pitch or not. So most of the companies I work are B2B. They've got salespeople. And so that's what I recommend we do. Like before we go fixing the messaging or anything else, let's just build a sales pitch and go pitch it and let's see if that works. Now, sometimes I'm talking to companies and they don't have a sales team. So they're selling stuff on the internet and it's zero touch. Even those ones, I'm like, maybe you force them to have a conversation with you for a couple of weeks <laughs> and then let's try it out that way. So I think that's that's a step that most folks should do. They should be trying it on clean, fresh prospects that don't know too much about your stuff and see if it gets the lights to go on. If it does, then we're good. Then we're going to go tackle messaging. Now, in my opinion, what everybody wants to do is they want to just go, let's go to the homepage and fix all the, rewrite all the messages on the homepage. And I, I would advise you to resist that a little bit. So what I think is a better thing to do is to write your messaging down in a document and say, look, we got a tagline. This is what the tagline is. We got three points of value. This is how we talk about them. One, two, three. We got a bunch of key features that we talk about a lot. Here's what, here's how we describe those. We've got some quotes from customers that we use a lot. These are the approved quotes. We put it all in a document. If we do that, then we can, then we, then we, everybody can share it. And then, then we're going to go build homepage messaging and we start with the document and we twizzle it for the homepage. And then if we want to go build campaigns or advertising, or we're going to a trade show and we need a brochure or something, we're not going to the homepage to go get that. We go back to the messaging document. And so that way, everything is one degree removed from the messaging document. If we don't have a messaging document, then what we get is what I would call messaging drift. <laughs> so you go write the stuff for the homepage and then someone says, oh, we need a brochure. And then, you know, and then someone will look at the homepage stuff and then build the brochure. And then two weeks after that, they'll say, oh, we need a campaign. And they'll say, well, let's look at the brochure. That's the new stuff, right? So we look at the brochure and then we do something. And then fast forward six months and you got messaging that looks nothing like the homepage anymore because it was built off this thing that was three iterations away from the homepage. And all of a sudden your messaging doesn't make any sense anymore. It's inconsistent. So I haven't been the head of marketing. Nobody likes to build the, the messaging document, but once you have one, you're so happy. <laughs> so I would recommend you write it down in the messaging document and the messaging in that document does not change 
unless your positioning changes. When your positioning changes, well, then we got to go back and shift the messaging. I call that one source of truth and using Google Docs once again. Back in Google Docs, you can tweak behind the scenes and also tell people, like, everything we do, we want to validate, right? So you're validating by talking to warm prospects, right? And you can feel where the pull is. When I say this, oh, we're not getting anywhere. Now, all of a sudden, we work with you. Boom, boom, boom. We nail our positioning. Now it's really resonating. I'm booking a lot more demos, right? Money's in the bank, bank account. Cha-ching. So you're talking to customers. Then once you feel like you really nail it, then we can start updating the cover page. Because I think, you know, um, and this is one of my frustrations with marketing, right? I've never worked as a VP of marketing, but I think we're very confused about what marketing's role actually is. I think the internet has confused it because people are about email signups and all this other stuff. But it's like, at the end of the day, most of us need revenue. revenue. <laughs> we just need revenue. And I was on a call with someone and we're like, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. And she was like, that sounds like sales. And I'm what, thinking, what else is marketing there, is sales at scale. <laughs> yeah, like what you you realize, like that's how you get paid, right? Like this doesn't work if we I don't do get think, revenue. Like, so, honestly, like, I do think that though, like especially in companies that don't have sales teams, like marketing sometimes gets in their little bubble. And then even if you do have sales teams, like sometimes marketing just doesn't go over to talk to sales ever, right? So they're in their little bubble yeah. and they're worried about their metrics, right? And their metrics are signups and hits on the page and traffic and conversions on things. But it's like, you know, if you're not caring about what happens after it hits sales, then you're not doing your job because at the end of the day, we don't care about any of those things. We care about revenue, right? Like, so we should be caring a lot about what happens to these things when it hits the sales team, you know, are all these leads crap? <laughs> all this traffic stupid? Like, yeah, it turns into marketing management. Cause we're like, what is going on social on this day? When are we running this campaign? We're running this yeah. campaign. It's like, we need to nail the positioning. Like people aren't buying. Right. There's a reason your thesis was wrong. The enemy had a choice. They said no. And so now we need to figure out like, where can we, how can we position ourselves the correct way? And I think everything we talked about today, appreciate you answering my question on the veteran owned uh, is a feature or benefit stressing the importance of naming your product and company the same thing early on. Now, I'm a little different. I'm Ironbound Media. I got a, I got a company name too. I just never talk about it. It's exactly. <laughs> it's not it's a brand. Nobody needs no to one know. needs to know. Like, <laughs> like right. Yeah, advisory consulting right. solutions. You know, <laughs> that's exactly it. Like, and you need one because sometimes you go to a conference or something, they make you put your company name on the badge. And if I don't give them a company name, then it says April Dunford, April Dunford. And then, <laughs> then I look stupid. <laughs> so I just have this name that literally is like, you know, I need a legal name and it can't be my own name because that's also very confusing. But yeah, I don't, I, it's nowhere. Like you'd have to really go looking for it <laughs> to figure out what it is because, you know, it's not, the brand is April Dunford and that's it. You've been in the trenches doing this work. Is there anything you're seeing that we didn't cover today? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I would say the bit the big thing with positioning is like I think if you think about it even a little bit, you're so far ahead of everybody else. Like I I mean, the, the majority of people are just not thinking about 
you know, what is my story around why pick me over everyone else? Like, what is my story there? And like, so who are those people? What is the value that I can deliver that no one else can deliver? Like, if you actually sit down and do some deep thinking about that, you're going to be ahead of like 90% of people running businesses <laughs> because it just, they, like most of us, most folks just kind of fall into positioning and it, and and it's luck, like either it just works or it doesn't. But I think if you're intentional about it and thinking about it at all, I think you're, you know, that that's enough. <laughs> I think you're going to do well. That was a comment I was going to say. A lot of people keep referencing start with the why, yeah. Simon Sinek's book. Like they always go back to that. And I think it's great and all, right? But at the end of the day, we also got to, I think yours is like the how to, right? Like that next level. I read that book too. And I was like, I like this, you know, like, I think this is cool. And then. I was having a coffee with someone and I said, I read this book. It's called, you know, to start with why. And it's all about how people don't buy your product and what it does. They, they buy the why behind it. And my friend was looking at me and said, I don't think that's true. And I said, well, you know, it was a really compelling book. You made a good case. And, and, uh, and, and my friend said, well, what's Apple's why? And we were like, oh shit. Neither one of us knew. <laughs> Yeah. And it was an it example in the book. Got, yeah. <laughs> and neither one of yeah. us knew. And then we were like, yeah, I guess we're not buying it for the why. All right. <laughs> yeah. No, you're 100% right on that. So let me ask you this. We've got veteran entrepreneurs tuning in from all over the country, all the world. How can we support the work you're doing? I know you're out there on the speaking circuit. You got books rolling. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, oh that's nice. Yeah, well, you know, you don't need to support my, my, I need to support my own work. You guys don't need to support it. Um, like I would say, like, if you're, if you want to go deep on this stuff, cause this is, this is my jam is to kind of teach people how to do that stuff. So I got a book, it's called Obviously Awesome. You can buy an ebook for like seven bucks and it's like everything I know about positioning <laughs> squished into a couple hundred pages. Um, and then otherwise I'm aprildunford.com. Like there's some stuff on my website there. You can check it out and I'm on social media, but I'm not very good at social you're media. You're great. You so. responded to my tweet. So you, you're hundred <laughs> in my book. Um, I want to say this about her website. You are radically generous. You give out tons of free resources and materials. That is a great website. So a lot of the topics we talked about today, please buy the book and check out her website. Uh, we're thankful to have you in our ecosystem now, April. So hopefully more of the community understands. And if there's ever anything we can do to support you, please do not hesitate to reach out. Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. For all our listeners, do me a favor and go ahead and hit that subscribe button on Dog Whistle Brandon. And I would also love for you to subscribe to our newsletter. If there's a topic you want me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at, at mikeandweareironbound.com or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we provide no-fluff and high-impact brand strategy for veteran-owned businesses. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement for the veteran entrepreneurial community. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is powered by The Lion's Pride, a professional training and coaching company for badass founders. We serve mission-driven, high-performing small business owners with at-the-ready resources, battle-tested tools, and full-service support. We're proud to support veteran and other badass-owned businesses at every stage of growth. You can learn more and get more at thelionspride.com. <laughs> <laughs>